This is Power 1 and 2 Digital, the Power Breakfast Show podcast series. Everybody right now caught in the jostle for space in the race trying to keep up with the pace by space ram cram everybody in a jam jamming 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 for a better life a better way of living in the meantime simple things we forgetting like how to say good morning morning oh morning neighbors good morning neighbors thank you so much for joining us in the second hour of the power breakfast show and power one and two digital Thank you, Evie, for our major news. Of course, we have a news brief coming up at 8, and that's all courtesy. Champlain Auto Services, all right? Let's take a look at what's happening traffic-wise. The creek's a bit busy. Leaving San Fernando, heading northbound is also uh, a bit busy, all right? And then you're going to get traffic on the solo from pretty much Chase Village, heading towards the CRA. Trouvelet Road, heavy. Leaving Cuba to Chase Village on the southern main road, also heavy. Chaguanas uh, towards Kirap, yep, you got traffic on the southern main road. Eastern main road is also heavy. Maraval, Dego Martin, usual spots, okay? There you go. All right. Um, all right, let's get the results of our morning poll, shall we, gentlemen? I think I have some more votes here. Um, thank you, HMM, okay. Uh, thank you, Miss Ingrid, which also says no to the poll. Uh, Central Animal Lover, thank you so much, Central Animal Lover. And that's all I got for you, Rich Rich. Well, our poll this morning was, well, is, are you surprised that the case against Anand Ram Logan and Jared Ram Dean has been discontinued? We had 31 people voting on the poll this morning. Of the 31 people voting, 26 of you said, no, you are not surprised that the case against Aaron Ram Logan and Jared Ram Dean has been discontinued. Five of you said you were surprised. So 31 people in all voting. Of course, you can continue to vote on this poll throughout the day and through all programming, and we'll give you the final results tomorrow morning, Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, we'll have a new poll, but we'll also give you the results of this poll. Final results. Yes. All right. I ain't surprised one bit. In terms of, it'll be interesting to see, as I say, to find out what Gerald Ramlin and Aaron Ram Logan has to say. I know Aaron Ram Logan is always a little bit more difficult to get in contact with, to speak with. 
um, so Gerald Ramdeen is our better chance or better opportunity since he's um, you know a frequent fairly frequent speaker on this program yeah well I'm sure they both feel vindicated at some level now being attorneys that know themselves you know Well, having a case over your head is always stressful. Yeah, exactly. And a criminal case at that, eh? I mean, not, mm-hmm. not, that, civil, not that civil makes it any easier in many circumstances, but I mean... Yeah, you may exude a certain bravado, but it's always stressful. Yeah. Because always something in the back of your mind that you have to deal with. And you know, outcomes in court matters are never certain. Yeah. So we're going to see how it's going to play out. I assume that they're going to issue some sort of statement today at some point. Well, yeah. I'm sure it's their time to um to deal with their reputations, eh? Mm-hmm. As anybody should in, in those circumstances. Somebody just sent me, I think, the agreement. One of our researchers, our um, loyal researchers, Right. It's signed by Vincent Nelson. Nelson, I'll send it to you. What is that? Do you already? Yes. Now our researchers don't make joking. Our breakfast. There you go. You will understand to read it better than me. And take out the salient parts. But it's quite a a, a development, eh? Yeah, it is. Quite it's a very high profile case. A very high profile case, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to get uh Mr. Ram Dean last hour. I was trying to get him a while ago, but uh voicemail. <clears throat> hmm. And I was trying to get our guest online, but I don't know what happened there. Or we could take some calls in the interim while we wait, considering the poll and what people feel about this whole entire issue, because we haven't really, I mean, we asked yes or no, are you surprised? But we haven't actually um, spoken to our listeners with regard to their actual assessment of what's taking place and mm-hmm. how they feel about it. Um, right. so well, I have some calls coming through already, so let's yeah, grab them. While yeah. we Good morning. Hey, morning, morning, Wendell. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Good morning Mr. Mr. Patrick. I was surprised. You know why I was surprised? You go remember the case within his actions of him? Yeah, go ahead. When the state honor Mr. Lawrence Marge make a declaration that even if the state witness dies, won't it have evidence the case will continue? You remember that? Mm-hmm. So how this state witness do not is not dead and the case drop 
because he come to bring evidence, but he already give evidence. The man already well, guilty. He said that he was guilty. willing to continue if and when his civil situation was resolved. So it wasn't yeah, that he, he was no willing. Please, he can't make no please bargain again. He, he already, he already plead guilty to our offense. So therefore, he has no other option than to come to court and give evidence. And even if he come to court and give evidence, it's done. Well, obviously, it doesn't, Mr. Patrick. Yeah, he has options. The DPP so has like said that him, the DPP has said that the, the issue that he's not willing to testify unless a civil proceedings case was concluded in his favor and he gets his indemnity. The DPP yeah, has assessed that, that, has assessed that as unwillingness, I guess, and to the degree but, that he doesn't think the criminal case can stand. But I hear all what I'm saying, but the man plead guilty and make a plead bargain and become a state witness. So how under, under certain circumstances. Yeah, under how certain circumstances. he decide what he want to do? So because he, because there were conditionalities attached to his moving forward, and clearly he's optioned them. And something wrong with that? To you? Something wrong with that? That's not because it's two separate things going on here. But he's saying now, if that is finished, I ain't coming. That what he's saying. Uh, well, he's and saying that an agreement was made. Until it's, it's finished. It's a little bit more substantive than that, eh, Mr. Patrick. That, yes, he's saying not an agreement was made to do X. And yes, you have and not done X. Do X and because oh, yeah, have because done that's what X. a plea bargain is. A plea bargain is, I give you something and I get something in return. And he's saying, if you do not do X, I'm not willing to do Y. If you don't complete X. Mm -hmm. But, but mm -hmm. how, how long... How long did the state had was a complete X? <laughs> that is unclear. Well, it's yeah. several years going on now. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Because I know... But obviously, the DPP on. has assessed the situation, and in his opinion, look, this, this, is going this does not make sense, and he's discontinued say, Yeah, all right. They, say they will revisit it at some time when he... Everything finished. So Ramdi Neme with no case, the case has dropped. <laughs> All right. All right, thanks. All right, let's bring in uh, Pastor Clive Dutton. Good morning. Good morning, sir. And sirs, Recording how are you? Recording in progress. Good morning, Mr. Uh, Pastor Dutton. Good how morning. are you? Good morning. Yes. Well, overwhelmed these days, you know, so much is happening. Like us all. Yes, yes, so much happening within a progressively shorter period of time. But isn't this normal for Trinidad and Tobago? I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. Isn't something always happening? <laughs> yes, yeah, always happening. Heel tripping, heel tripping. I, I told someone 20 years ago, the best business to get into in this country is news. Because there's never a shortage of it. <laughs> yeah, we can never settle down. Anyway, thank you for joining us this morning. Yes. Uh, you're, well, that's a segue from our conversation. There, Are you surprised? That's our question this morning by the collapse as the newspapers put it up the case against Messrs. Ramdeen and Ramnogan? Well, when I heard it last night, to give him a first reaction, you know, I, I, I was surprised in, in the early, in my early reaction, because I came home late. I, I came home 
not late really, in time to catch the news. And the first face I saw on the news, I was inside my bedroom and I rushed out, was Martin Daly. And if I gather what he was saying, and as I listened to him, the surprise, you know, kind of disappeared. Um, I believe he was cautioning the government and perhaps more than likely the Attorney General, you know, of not trying to, you know, should I say implicate or impute motives onto the director of public prosecutions. Um, I, I, in this case, uh, I'm a bit, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure because I take it that the Attorney General and the DPP should not be communicating in terms of a final decision like this. Um, so I, I, I got, I, I could be corrected by any of you, but I got the impression that Martin Daly was cautioning, you know, that we do not rush to opinions and do not, you know, be guilty of being judgmental, you know, on the, on the director of public prosecutions. As you said, and I listened to the conversation that just, you know, finished, um, there was very little that could be done if conditions were not met. And what I find in Trinidad is that sometimes some people are so sure the folks are guilty. And sometimes the, the surety of guilt comes when you're on the other side, you know, and there'll be some political, political benefit if the person is convicted. So that I, I take Mr. Daly's warning as a genuine, as authentic, that, you know, we must be careful, you know, and how we seek to even politicize the office of the director of public prosecutions. I feel there's so much in the mix here. Mm -hmm. And I think the word caution is what I would use to describe Daly's comments. I haven't heard much others. I want to be honest with you. But I mean, in the circumstances, certainly the DVP, um, as a constitutionally independent position, certainly the remit to discontinue the case is solely under his office's ambit. So yes. he doesn't need to consult with the AG concerning it. He is right. okay. Thank constitutionally you. protected right. as the... And the, and the AG is a political creature, although supposed to be acting in the interest of the country and the welfare of the state. But the AG is a political creature also. We have to understand that. Well, we know Trinidad. And sometimes... You know, we use this word constitutionally, this term protected should be, but we know that sometimes that is not the case. But I am happy, I want to be honest with you, I am happy when there is such low disagreement between the two offices. I feel it tells me that one is acting according to his remitting the constitution, the protection as Richard mentioned just now, as afforded to him. The Cassine insulation. Yes, yes. I, I am I I am I am not unhappy with the developments. No. Um I gather that we cannot say this is the end of the matter. It may take another year, it may take another two years, and given how the politics would swing, you know, we can't leave out that, you know, but at the same time, I don't think this is the end of the matter might be the end of the matter for now, temporarily. 
but I'm not sure we could say with any 100% guarantee that this case wouldn't crop up again. For example, if the conditions are met, you know, as outlined, as articulated, you know, by Mr. Nelson, I think it is, you know, to see where it goes. Obviously, there was, uh, I agree, there was some plea bargaining, you know, there was some measure, as you said, Paul, you do something and expect something in return. Obviously, there were some promises made, you know, and which is which very interesting to me. And we'll see where it goes from there. But I, I, I applaud the, the DPP for acting in what he call is the best interest of all concerned. And that is what I get from him. All right. If we could move now to the, that's the breaking news last night, anyway, yesterday afternoon. Yes. The last week and a half has been replete with statements during the budget presentations of many government and opposition members. A lot of the government ministers, um, members, sorry, members of parliament came in for some severe tongue lashing from the wider population, so much so that the prime minister actually commented on the situation. We've had uh, Minister of Sports, Sean Fakoja, we've had Minister of Public Utilities, Marvin Gonzalez, we've had MP, reported Minister of Keith Scotland, did I miss out anybody? Uh, in their commentary regarding the budget on the central theme of sacrifice. Uh, in one instance, um, Minister Koja talked about the fact that her family sacrifice responsible for the, the where she is being able what she's been able to attain, uh, and suggested the media was twisting her words to make us well twisting her words. We had. Uh, Keith Scotland making his contribution to the budget, talking about we have to sacrifice in the context of where we are economically and go back to coal pots and riding bicycles, from which he's subsequently apologized for the hurt that may have been caused. We have uh, Minister of Public Utilities Marvin Gonzalez talking about do eat ham and macaroni pie every week. And the, the visceral reaction from the population who are under strife themselves to these comments and the Prime Minister saying people are on edge. Uh, are you surprised by the level of pushback now? Because I've been had the honor of sitting through seven budgets. And yes, people have different views on the budget in any government's tenure, not only this government. Budget elicits reactions, you know, not sometimes in agreement, very often in disagreement. But this time, there is a serious pushback. Why do you think that is? I think the population is losing confidence in the political directorate and an alarming pace. And you see, it's okay to talk about sacrifice. I think sacrifice is a great word as a Christian pastor. You know, the whole story of Christ and Calvary and willing to come down to this earth, the sacrifice of life, you know, within a Christian context, is great. Gandhi sacrificed his life. It's not limited to Christianity. I am not surprised at all at the pushback. I could answer that one off the cuff for you. I think there's a loss of confidence. There's this issue. I heard somebody comment, well, how, how the parliamentarians are going to talk about sacrifice, you know, when they love to change the cars and benefit from all this million-dollar story, then we have the issue of David Lee, you know, had dominated the news before the floods came. What I thought was a little excessive, and I could be wrong, is that the floods came 
and almost flooded out the bicycle because I saw on Facebook, you know, poor Mr. Scotland drowning in the water with four breadfruit, you know, out of, you know, moving away from him. And the poor bicycle is inundated also. So that you had a, I mean, a convergence of events, not planned, I'm sure, but it, it, it happened. So I believe if I were a parliamentarian today, I would ask myself, what am I doing wrong that, you know, produces this kind of comment? It, it, it was almost volatile. Apart from going viral, it was volatile. You know, people that it doesn't want to hear, you know, some of the politicians at all. The issue of sacrifice, let me tell you something. I believe I am correct in saying that 75% of the people didn't want to hear parliamentarians who love to change cars and get upscale cars and all kind of thing talking and, and living their high lifestyle. They don't want to hear a word from them. They feel any attempt to use the word sacrifice is bloody hypo hypocrisy, you know what I mean? So I am surprised about that at all. I want to be honest with you. And then you have the, the negotiations going on and the 4% to the 2% and everything else. So I think people are showing their dissatisfaction and in a democracy, it is fair for them to show their, their dissatisfaction. But, but, you know, they feel the politicians are being essentially hypocritical. And what and you're trying to do, do you think the government is one of the, the commentaries, bits of commentaries that the government is very disconnected to, to what's happening on the ground and tone deaf? Well, people feel that way. I mean, I, I, I am a, I, I'm late in the technology, I'm growing, and I have seen a lot of comments on social media. And it suggests that, you know, now you will have the state propaganda machines, and I listen to a few of them, and they are going out of the way to defend, you know what I mean? But the overwhelming majority suggesting to the government you must do more listening than talking. And, you know, sacrifice applies to everybody, you know, across the board. And you must set the example. Paul, Richard, Steve, I am getting the strong message from the population. The population is saying to the government, you know, model what, you, what you're preaching. All right? Don't just say stop because we're going to look at your lifestyle and we'll hold you to account. So to my mind, the population is saying we demand more accountability. Yeah. What, what do you think causes, because you're saying that the government is disconnected, um, the, uh, a, a lot of the pushback emanates from the narrative coming up, coming off from the political elites. Why do you think politicians can get so disconnected to the people they represent? Well, I don't want to use the word sycophants, but sometimes sycophantic supporters, blind party loyalists, have a way of massaging the ego of politicians. And to my mind, that is what, you know, in the, we talk in the Christian context of the carnal nature, and I think other religions use different words. But is, is, is that issue that you, you know, you love to hear stuff. You love people to flatter you, you know, to make you feel you're doing right. You could be doing a whole pile of wrong. You know, you have a few people come out there with loud voices, not always wise words, but loud voices, and they're, they are going to make you feel you're doing so well so that politicians have to be aware 
you know, of that penchant to love flattery, you know. And I think that is what is going on here. And it has gone on for a pretty long time. And then suddenly there appears to be the turning of the tide. Now, let, let, let me detail a couple of things to you. You had yesterday what? The, uh, the scrap iron dealers going in front of the ministers. So I, I don't really appreciate that, to be honest with you. I, I don't think that is necessary. You want to protest, protest outside parliament if you could, um, you know, everywhere. And uh, so you had that. Then you had people suffering from the floods. Then you have this, could I say, this tall trade union negotiations with the chief personal officer. I think there's been a development recently. So you have so many things. Uh, and, and the population, a lot of people, especially the lower end, you know, economically speaking, they are feeling that nobody is really concerned about them. One day, everybody has a way of saying PNM is the problem, UNC is not the solution. You know, he says that ad infinitum. So I, I believe if I were a parliamentarian right now, I would ask myself, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? I am being accused of being insensitive. The whole narrative, the meta-narrative, is that people believe that folks who sit down there are insensitive. They're not really sure about the pain, you know, that the folks are going through. And people are saying, well, you're not sure about the pain. I will make you understand the kind of pain. I will use every weapon available to me, go on the media, protest, shout, I mean, caricature you on social media. I will do everything possible to make you know that you are not really experiencing the pain and you don't deserve the right to adjudicate on my issues. How much is this an, uh, an example of uh, a growing social class divided in Trinidad and Tobago? Because to me, the as I said, I, and I keep saying it, clearly there's a need for some level of sacrifice. Clearly we are not where we used to be 20, 30 years ago. But to... It's not asking for sacrifice, but how you ask for it. Because sometimes when in the in the in the in the championing of the, the principle of sacrifice, there is the people forget that people have been sacrificing. Uh, a couple exactly. of years. You know, it's it's not exactly. that people have been sacrificing, yes. and there seems to be some people seem oblivious to the fact that it's not only your grandfather and grandmother sacrifice, mine too. So when you tell me sacrifice in that way, in that tune, it suggests that, well, I was living great all the time and I wasn't, or my family wasn't. I'm glad you raised that. Let me take, for example, I am working. I receive a salary at the end of the month. In my church, we don't tolerate, you know, moonlighting or getting direct money from churches. So we get a reasonable salary. And I was hoping that the gas price would not go up. Honestly, because when I went to the last time, I traveled throughout the country regularly. And I, I, it was concerning to me. And I couldn't wait to go to the pump to see how much I would get for the value for like $100. Um, Paul, if I could say that, and I am coming under the barrel of a gun, if I could say that, all right? And, you know, in front of IMF officers, Imbert's response, you know, and laughing, I did it the first time and not their riot, I do it the second time. People have that in the back of their heads. And they, 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 not just Mr. Imbert, but the government people, to say the people on edge is why they on edge. You can't just say people on the edge. You have to ask the question, why they on edge? 
they are busy trying to make two ends meet. They're going to the supermarkets and supermarket prices. I don't want to demonize supermarket orders, but I think they must be trying their best. But the point is, sacrifice must be in the DNA of all levels of the society. Now, let me say this. The middle class and the lower class. People are convinced, and I am convinced also, that the middle class is shrinking. All right? They are convinced about that. They may be right, they may be wrong, but they are convinced about that. Certainly, once you raise the gas price, the cost of living will go up. Because you have to use transport to transport the supermarket goods, uh, the market stuff, the vegetables and everything else. So, but, but you know, put a pause there, Pastor Dutton, because Richard said something. I said the same thing two weeks ago. And yes. Richard said something that actually had me thinking. Yes. But when we say the middle class is thinking, the middle class is classified by a certain salary range. Is that what you meant, Richard? I think the thing the middle class is defined not just by an income level, but it's also defined by a certain level of aspiration. Right. That I, that, that, that I think... Okay. Right. Well, I'm glad you, you clarified because, okay, so middle class represented a particular aspiration and that aspiration was grounded in in your revenue, your income, sorry, and what you could afford, the standard of living you were able to afford and what you could right, aspire to. Right. Persons in that category now, because of the, the economic pressures, the, the, the inflation rate, the the price at the pump, the price of the groceries, the aspiration is shrinking. So in that regard to me, the middle class philosophy is under pressure. Because right. even if you were making $12,000 a month, it is not going nearly as far as it would have 15 years ago. Nope. Of course. And, and I, I, want, I want to say something here. It is a pity that the, is it the Economic Advisory Council that involves the trade unions and everybody else, that that has broken down almost irreparably. And I don't see an attempt, you know, to fix that so that you're going to have, yeah, you have a little, I mean, the government said it's sticking at 4% and then giving. You have two elements in the society that we need to have a sense of balance. You have the trade unions, all right? Some of them want too much. But to my mind, it's impossible to give people 15 and 18 percent. I listen to the prime minister and I try my best to be balanced and honest. So you have that. OK, one. End. And then you have the other extreme of the incense, what people conceive, perceive as the insensitivity of the politicians. Now, how you arrive at middle ground, to my mind, is the greatest challenge. And you cannot arrive at middle ground with the divisiveness of the politics that you have. You know how many parliamentarians that stand up and say, you see my party, I agree with them. The minute they do that, they're going to be demonized as selling out, as being Judas's. So that the political climate doesn't afford an objective discussion in what is real and what represents a sense of balance and even nobility. All right? Because obviously we don't have the money we had 15 years ago. Obviously, you can't get you know, what you're crying out for, although you, you may have been, you see, what, what the, the law and law middle class and law class saying, although I hate to use the terms, they are saying, we sacrificing all the time. And you want us to sacrifice more again, and you ain't sacrificing. I mean, you living in your upscale environments and you okay, you hardly have to buy groceries or whatever benefits you're getting, and you're telling us to sacrifice, but we sacrificing for decades. You know, it's, it's a time for a change. 
and they're asking for a time for a change now. I think when Stuart Young appeared on Quest, you know, he made a lot of heavy statements. And I was wondering what was the genesis for that? With all due respect, if Guyana for um, energy minister spoke that way, I could understand. But I, I heard him make some very elaborate statements. You know, they're going to settle wages, uh, the extra money they have and everything else. I don't You're exaggerate. telling the politician with the greatest of respect, um, Pastor, as a politician who is not going to go on international CNN on, on that very popular economic show and talk about the strife happening in Trinidad and Tobago, the discord between the government and the unions, and the fact that people catching this cannot here. It will not paint his government in a very positive light, and he's not going to do that. His message is going to be we are all right, we yes. have some challenges, we and we bills. will, and we will, we will. We will settle everything because our government is great. That and I, yeah, I get it. You understand? It doesn't yeah. mean it's accurate, but I get it. <laughs> and of course, what you have is the reverse taking place, and you have a, a disenchanted group. If you're not careful, you become a disenchanted mob. And I want to tell the politicians with due respect: let's be cautious as we go forward. Uh, don't take the population for granted. I mean. You know, sometimes I watch the role of the police, you know, when you have protests and where you can have protests and how you can't have protests. But you have to be careful not taking away the legitimacy, constitutionally enshrined, you know, opportunities for protests from individuals. You have to be careful. You don't even be perceived that way in the least. So I am saying it's a wake up call for all of us. All of us must sacrifice. I agree. Um, are the trade unions real in some of their askings and requests and appeals? Not always. And they too must get real. Not only the politicians must get real, you know, they, 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 I, I keep saying about the other side must also get more realistic in terms of what they're asking for. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I heard the prime minister say on more than one occasion, when they were talking about 2% and 4% and everything else. Well, you have to start somewhere. And we discussed, and I got the impression that he was open for another figure, whether it's 45 whether it's 5% or whatever it is. I got that impression. But now I'm, I'm, I'm hearing with the budget speeches, that is it. All right? So don't come asking for no more. That is it. You know, so that tonight we have to be careful what we say. Um, we may make a statement that gives people the impression you're open to you know, to, to move up a little higher and then you come back and say, well, that's it. You know, not, not, nothing could be done. It's costing billions. And if we go at like 8 and 10%, we just don't have it. Now, the population has to be real too because it appears to me we just don't have it. You know what I mean? It appears so to be. How we could inspire hope when we can give you an extra 1% is the challenge for the political leadership right now. How we but could I think still hope, hope has to come... Hope has to come from a place of authenticity and okay. people believing what or trusting in you as the messenger of hope. Right. And I think I, that's I, the, I, I accept totally. And that's a, that's a key thing. But, 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 and I know we have spoken to you before, and I think Trinidad and Tobago has, has morphed into a, a very angry society at certain points. You feel people are very angry. And I don't know what can abate that anger and frustration, which feeds into the hopelessness 
that people can feel because it, they call all kind of cousins to each other um, in terms of that overall picture of a society. And you are a Christian leader, so has religion impacted on society enough in terms of being able to, to, to abate some of that um, sense of hopelessness? Or well, have they failed? Yes, yes. I think we are... Well, if I give a, a straight figure, out of a figure of 10, I think we, in religion, we are wrong five and a half, you know, just over the past mark. We need to do more. And, you know, yesterday was World Mental Health Day. And I dealt with depression at the wellness center in Barrett area and Dr. Ocho was there. He dealt with management of stress. I think the psychological and emotional, you know, state of, of people in the country, we need to give it a strong look and address that. Because in spite of all the negatives, leadership is about, you know, we, we are supposed to be the bringers of hope, whether we in religion, whether I, I could tell you, yesterday I had to help out a woman who has 10 children. Now we could do all the talk and say, why she have 10 children? You know what I mean? And, and, and the husband hardly working anywhere and she just holding on to a happy thing. We could talk about all of that. But the point is, while we, and you have to perform what the analysis and paralysis, you have a, a lady with 10 children who under enormous pressure. And so there has to be a short term you know, before you talk about the golden, medium, and long term, there's a short term need that has to be supplied. And I feel, in terms of religion, if I, if I could speak, um, we need to do a lot of reorganizing and rethinking. But we need to do, you know, we, ha we have to make sure and go in the trenches and help too. Now, we don't have unlimited resources, granted. But I think how we even spend our dollars uh, must be up for a serious restructuring. And uh, we have to engage our membership more in the Good Samaritan model. You know, because sometimes in religion, you talk about the prosperity gospel. You know, I mean, about the lifestyles of some of us as religious leaders. And you don't see, hmm, I'm going to get in trouble here. You don't see a concern for the poor as you should. Okay. So we have to be careful in terms of things like prosperity gospel and that kind of thing. Because like it spits in the face of people who struggling to make a living. You know, they're still trying to give you an offering when Sunday or Saturday morning comes. Uh, so that the issue of sensitivity is not just for the parliamentarians. It's for business leaders. It's for religious leaders. And, and we must pass be at the top of the scale when it comes to sacrifice. We can't be modeling a certain lifestyle and then telling people they must sacrifice, you know. So all of us as leaders, not just politicians, but all of us as leaders, we have to set a better example. We were talking about sacrifice uh, a while ago, and in, in the context of what you just said, people also need to feel that they are sacrificing toward an end. And without the clear path articulated, the light at the end of the tunnel, and the hope that Richard spoke about, sacrifice is a really meaningless word. Because every time there's high oil prices, it don't seem to trickle down. So some people will feel, no matter how much I sacrifice, is only one strata of society benefiting from the sacrifice. And that, to me, is a great challenge in this country. There doesn't seem to be equitable distribution of the wealth when there's wealth. Exactly. And um, I heard in the news last night, somebody was robbed and there was 10,000 US in the house, you know. 
And that made me think because I went to the bank to get, you know, 200 US, I couldn't get, I couldn't get 50. So that we have to bring in the bankers here and the companies that boast about so many heavy profits. Why are we talking about sacrifice? And why do you don't want to be judgmental? At the same time, you have to ask this the question. Well, you know, I mean, we catching our nenen or while we tails, or we could say there. And yet people boasting about these abnormal profits. So the message that comes across is an uncaring message. Let's be quite frank about that. And there are a lot of people who have very little to eat. You know, that is the bottom line. And government must know when the pushback comes. It doesn't come back from people just greedy. It's come back from people who are trying to make two ends meet. And they, they can't give their children a proper breakfast when the morning comes. So it, it boils down to that. And we have to see that as a pressing reality and do better. I, I have a concern about how we deliver budgets, sir. And this has nothing to do with input and its personality. I feel when you're doing a budget, you have to tell us exactly what happened last year, where the projects are, and, and, and how they will come into fruition this year. And, and when you're giving all your promises, make sure it's rooted in a, in a kind of near reality. That has to happen, okay? And it must have that element of hope still, you know, within the, the mix. Yeah. And crime. Are we oh, underestimating no. the impact of all of this social pressure on the burgeoning crime situation? Well, yesterday I tuned into a station and I was amazed. I mean, Rich, Steve and Paul, I was amazed. I mean, they were, all right, you demonize America and America, crime to America, cluster shootings, and we have cluster shootings. And we ended up kidnapping for a long while. Who says so? I went to Morogo on Sunday and I bonked up a kidnapping case. And the country doesn't know a thing about that. You know what I mean? And the guy was carried to the forest on dumb days. The father of two children, a very, he's a good musician in our church. And he showed me all the marks on his wrist and everything else. So that let's get real. You know what I mean? They, they may have gotten some of their facts wrong or whatever, but the crime rate and the murder rate is untenable. I mean, we are going to 500 this year again. And whether we like America or not, and whether they agree with the advisory or not, and whether America has some of the same problems or more, all right. But the point is, you know, we have a challenge here that we need to fix. And the issue of the home and the issue of our young people, 13, 14, and 15, the issue of being trained in underground shooting ranges, whether it's in south or north, is a critical thing. So all these are realities that we can't laugh about. You know, they are, look at the 15-year-old boy in the school there. I mean, look how, how you, if he was a, well, a delinquent in school and, you know, he, he loved violence, but nobody deserves to go that way at age 15. You mean nobody could have reached out to that kid? He, even if he were a delinquent, are we not sure that he was because there's no evidence of that? He should not have died that way. No, exactly. And I, I'm happy for you saying that. Very often we say, well, he was a bad boy, so let him take what he get. And yeah, 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 yeah. that's a feeling of society. One, on raising him properly. And two, how he ended up dying. I don't care what anyone... But by the way, if we're not careful, a lot of teenagers will end up that way. And I am saying we must put teenagers at the top of the burner. You know, in, in, I see we have a national service. We don't put national service. But we have to do something. You know what I mean? That will impact a lot of young people at the same time. I, I met with a 22-year-old with his parents yesterday, and he's saying to them in front of me, I don't want no help. They want him to come to our rehab and he said, I don't want no help. Now, what has gone wrong there? Now, I haven't gone into the history of the family, but I told him, see me in two weeks and see if your mind will change. 
I kept the door open because when it comes to teenagers, as somebody has been involved in that for years and decades, you have to keep the door open. He said, okay, Pastor, I'll see you in two weeks' time. I don't want to go rehab. You know, I want a job. I want to keep smoking my ganja from time to time, but I don't want to go to rehab. You know, and I, I told the parents, you know, it's not your wish for him. You know, it's his wish for himself. And he's 22 years old, you know. So keep the door open for our teenagers. Where do you think about this is going? Well, uh, are, you, are you seeing any light at the end of the tunnel? Let me, let me phrase it that way. Well, um, 30%, I, I, I would say that, you know. Um, there are some of us who are not giving up, who are the incredible optimists, and we keep running behind the young people. And those of us who are doing it, we must keep doing it. And we have to try to mobilize more people to do yes, it. Yes, but, but Pastor Dutton, you yes, sat sir. on a couple of occasions where I sit. And, and that is supposed to be one of the main instruments of change and progress in the country. That place on Abercrombie Street that's painted red, that that's place right. that, that is at the center of our democracy in Trinidad Tobago, you have sat in there and seen the goings on. You look at television and see the goings on. And that is supposed to be the instrument of change and the, the beacon of hope, is it? Yes, sometimes it is not. And that is the truth. And we must speak truth to power on that. And a lot of improvement must go on there. But also in our schools, in our churches, in our NGOs, all right? We have what to call for in, in the business institutions and in the banks. Banks, you're too insensitive if you're listening and you're viewing. All right? You need to step up to the plate also in a bigger way and not feel comfortable announcing all these, you know, godly profits and business institutions. So we have to call on everybody and we must not lose hope. I, I appeal to all of us, we must not lose hope and we must keep doing and, and keep improving where we are and calling upon leaders, all right, to be more sensible. Pastor, thank you for being with us. God yes. bless you. Appreciate yes, it. Thank you. God bless us. Thank you, Pastor. Right. Pastor Clive Dotted. All right. Um, as we have to our 8 o'clock news brief, all courtesy Chamflair Auto Services. Good morning to you, wherever you are. Traffic is still heavy in usual routes. Yeah, it is heavy. Trinity Central Road, Golden Grove Road, Curep Southern Main Road. Uh, all heavy this morning. Aranguez Road, heavy as well. All right, let's get into our news brief. If he is in, all courtesy Chamflair Auto Services. And of course, coming up. Um, next hour, the other side of 8 o'clock, today is International Day of the Girl Guide. So we'll take a five minutes and chat with them for a little bit. Thank you for choosing Power 102 Digital. Listen every weekday for our live show starting at 6 a.m. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Power 102 Digital.